Inhabit October 6th reading, continuation of Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper. Pathway 1, Reenchanting Our World. I spent some time discussing what it means to be shaped by a disenchanted world. Key to that formation are dis- disciplines of disenchantment. These aren't just ideas, they're often stories. And stories have a way of working on us at a deep level. For instance, it's one thing to hear someone say, life is random and meaningless. It's another to watch a movie like Garden State or Castaway. Movies capture the imagination, and these two in particular tell stories that erode a sense of meaning, order, and purpose in the world. Bravery in each is facing the randomness and meaninglessness of life. This kind of storytelling storytelling, is happening all the time in movies, novels, and music, but it's also happening in a kind of shorthand in everyday conversations, especially when they veer near the spiritual or supernatural. Not long ago, after a string of violent mass shootings, there was a social media uproar over thoughts and prayers, sentiment that often gets repeated after a tragedy. Enough with your thoughts and prayers, people wrote. Do something. While there's some degree of politicking going on in many of these tweets, there's also a a bit of revelation about the way people see the world. Thoughts and prayers are wasted in an empty universe. It's a perfect example of a world primed for disbelief. So how do we change? How do we experience things differently? We need to reorient our lives around a different set of stories. The people of God have always been storytellers. Starting with the Exodus, God's people have been telling and retelling the story of their Savior. Even the Ten Commandments begin with a nod towards the story, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. God reminds Israel of their salvation before he calls them to a way of life. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel's status as either righteous or rebellious roughly coincides with their faithfulness to remember and to tell their story. Periodically, the story gets lost. The gods of neighboring tribes tribes begin to appear in Israel's worship, and the nation falters. But then, someone finds the law. They read it, and a renewal movement begins. Our situation today is much like theirs. We're called to worship competing gods who, by name, like sex, money, power, and status, and like Israel, we need to remember the story of God who rescued us from slavery to these lesser gods. In the New Testament, storytelling continues. Every sermon in the book of Acts is a retelling of the story of God's salvation through Jesus. The sacraments that lie at the heart of Christian worship, baptism and communion, are shorthanded are shorthand symbols for the story of Jesus' death, resurrection, and the restoration of all things. If we want to leave behind our disenchantment, we have to find ways to immerse ourselves in these stories. We have to counter the stories of our disenchanted world. To do this, I want to suggest that we think in terms of market of marking time. By marking time, I mean that our lives should have 
signposts, and landmarks, significant moments that call us to remember that we are citizens of a different world. I like thinking about this in terms of concentric circles. Each circle narrows to a shorter interval of time, yearly, weekly, daily, hourly. Marking time. Yearly. In a given year, most Christians have at least two significant moments that call them back to God, Christmas and Easter. These two holidays are anchor points to our calendar. Christmas is ordinarily preceded by a time of anticipation called Advent, remembering the longing of Israel and the longing of the world for a Savior. Christmas, with its feast, is its practice of gift-giving, and all the lights and tinsel that come along with it. It's means to be an over-the-top celebration of the generosity and mercy of God. Likewise, Easter is normally preceded by a season of anticipation called Lent. In Lent, the church, church historically takes a long fast and spends 40 days preparing for Easter, with a time of repentance and lament. Good Friday is the deepest day of mourning, and on Easter, everything changes. The church is decorated with flowers, a feast is laid out on the table, and everyone gathers to shout, He is risen! He is risen indeed! Here, too, our families typically gather and celebrate. Easter and the days around it can be particularly dynamic feast, remembering Holy Thursday and the Passover, fasting for Good Friday, and feasting again to celebrate the resurrection. Whatever your church tradition is, there's value in marking out these days as sacred, or if you don't like that term, then call them unique. By celebrating them, you mark your own life with the two most significant moments in the life of Jesus. Not only that, you stand with Christians all over the world and all through the centuries who shaped their days with the story of God. Weekly. Perhaps the most significant rhythm in our lives is gathering regularly with the church. It's significant because it's the most outward, Godward hour in our weeks, and because it's a time when the invisible is made visible. The sacred church comes together, the signs of the kingdom are present in bread and wine and in waters of baptism. The gathered church is a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth. It often doesn't feel like a heavenly experience, though, and showing up can be difficult. As someone with young children, I'm as aware of this as anyone. It can be brutal getting your family organized and out the door. Once you're at church, it can be distracting to sit next to the crazy person who talks to themselves through the sermon. It can be frustrating when your church tries on a new musical or stylistic identity and you have a hard time participating. And yet, again and again, the scriptures tell us that gathering with the church is necessary. Hebrews 10:25 and that Christ dwells with his people in a unique and rich way when we gather and sing together. Colossians 3:16 For these reasons and more, the gathering of the local church is like the heartbeat of the Christian life. It's a time when we unite with other believers and where we can look around and remember, I am not alone. In a disenchanted world, that's more important than ever. 
Weekly habits might also include regular practices like fasting or feasting or gatherings like small groups, accountability groups, family dinners, and more. Each of these is a way of marking our time and calling our attention back to the kingdom of God. Daily. Daily disciplines including include journaling, praying, reading, scripture, and many more. For now, the specifics aren't important. I'll explore many of them in the pages ahead and explore thinking through daily routines after chapter 7. What's important is to begin thinking in terms of daily habits. How are we marking our time on a day-to-day basis so that we're regularly rooting ourselves in this bigger story? Hourly. The final circle is moment by moment. How do we go about our days in a way that sustains an awareness that we live in another world? Paul talks about praying unceasingly. Brother Lawrence wrote about practicing the presence of God, an effort to fill his mind constantly with the knowledge of God's presence. Frank LeBach, a missionary, wrote about a game with minutes, in which he trained himself to turn his thoughts to God minute by minute throughout the day. While these might be lofty goals, I want to start much more simply with a practice known as breath prayers. Breath prayers are exactly what they sound like, prayers that can be said in a single breath. To practice this discipline, which has been shared by Christians for many ages, you simply take in a deep, calming breath while exhaling, Pray quietly or aloud a simple phrase meant to reorient you to God's presence, his kingdom, and his goodwill for you. It's a practice that brings the whole person, heart, mind, and body, back to awareness of God's presence. Many people begin this practice with the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You might have a favorite verse of scripture to adapt. Matthew eleven twenty eight can become... Lord, I am weary, give me rest. Romans 8, 1 can be prayed as a reminder that there is no condemnation. For me, Colossians 3, 3 has merged with a line from Augustus Telepathy's hymn, Rock of Ages. Let me hide myself in thee. Each phrase is like a tip of an iceberg. It reaches back and to a deeper, richer story and roots us in a larger, God-filled world. The beauty of this practice is that it's por- is in its portability. There is no place, no meeting, no encounter in life where one can't stop and take a slow, deep breath. If you practice it regularly, you'll find yourself whispering prayers without having to think much about it. They simply, they, they'll simply be a part of life. I believe these concentric circles can frame out our lives, filling them with touchstones that call us back to God's kingdom. They are a practical way of re-enchanting our world and experiences. Signposts on our journey that remind us that the world is far bigger, far more wondrous, and far more mysterious than we have ever been told. Taking Steps Take an inventory of your practices in each of the circles. Write them out, yearly, weekly, daily, and hourly. For each category, ask yourself three questions. How consistent are these practices? How helpful are these practices? What's a step I could 
take in this circle to deepen and enrich these practices? Habits and practices are only sustainable when they're valued in our communities and families so be sure to talk with your family and closest friends about all of this consider how you might take steps to value these things more deeply together